Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Today for episode 436, my guest is Juraj Bednar. He's well known as one of the co-founders of Parallelny Polis, and he has a lot of interesting thoughts around Bitcoin as a parallel economy. So we get into some of that discussion around cypherpunk and libertarian thought, building out the Bitcoin parallel economy and peer-to-peer, as well as tips for onboarding Bitcoin and Lightning users. We have an interesting discussion towards the end of the episode around Lightning wallets and what are the best tools to onboard people with. Are you looking for a smartphone and desktop wallet for Bitcoin and Liquid? Blockstream Green is a great choice here. It has support for multi-signature security. It has full node verification if you choose and also Tor support. It's available on Apple, Android or desktop and the multi-signature feature has Blockstream holding one key on their server, protected with two-factor authentication, and you still have a time lock or a third backup key to ensure you always retain full ownership of your funds. There is also an integration with hardware wallets like Blockstream Jade, Ledger, and Trezor. So you get the best of both worlds. You can have cold storage with your private keys combined with Blockstream Green's suite of features. So if you're interested in this, go to blockstream.com slash green. Now, when it comes to Bitcoin hardware, CoinKite.com are producing a range of products that you will find interesting. The cold card is the top of the line hardware device, which has multiple secure elements. It has NFC support. And really interestingly, you can spin up a wallet without even connecting it to a computer. You can just plug it to the wall and set it up in this way. So it's a really reliable performer and it's a very secure option. Now, for those of you who are looking for a cheaper device, you can look at the Tap Signer, also available over at CoinKite. This uses NFC and you can use it easily with phone wallets such as Nunchuck. They've also got a range of other products like the Block Clock, the range of Block Clocks, and they have other metal backup devices also. You can get all of this over at CoinKite.com and get a discount on your cold cards with the code Levera. Now, when it comes to securing your cold storage, Unchained Capital are here to help with multi-signature. You can remove single points of failure from your setup using their multi-signature vaults. And if you need some help with setting this up, they have a concierge onboarding program where you can go, they can guide you over a call, they can send you the hardware devices that you need, and they can help you withdraw from an exchange into your own vault. Now, they have a range of other products and services around this. So for example, there are people who may want to collateralize a loan and use the loans product. Unchained also offer a trading desk, and they also have a range of educational content, which you can find over on their website, over at unchained.com. Use code Levera for a discount on your concierge package. And now onto the show with Juraj Bednar. Juraj, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. So Juraj, I know uh, you've been doing some writing and speaking about Bitcoin and obviously related ideas that many of us believe from the libertarian world, things like agorism, crypto anarchy, cypherpunk ideals, and things like this. So obviously, I'm interested to chat with you and Talk a little bit about this idea of building a parallel economy and the right tools to use for that, whether that is tools for us to use for ourselves or when we are helping onboard our friends, our family, what are some of the ways, methods that we use to do this and tools. So do you want to just give us a little bit of a background on yourself just for people who don't know you? Sure. So I'm, I was interested in IT. Uh, I was programming since I was six years old. Obviously, I had to uh, learn to read first. And then uh, from IT security, I uh, learned about this thing uh, called Bitcoin maybe 11 years ago, very, very early. 
uh, but I was looking at it from the from the point of view of uh, IT. So, okay, how do we reach a consensus in decentralized way and so on? But of course, I didn't know if this could work as money. So I pinged my friend, who is another URI, <laughs> who is an uh, um, economist of Austrian school. And I explained, okay, this is how it works. Can it actually work as money? It works uh, as a software. So he said, probably not, <laughs> but it's very interesting. Now he's very, very much into Bitcoin as well. So uh, then uh, I was cooperating with uh, with an art group, a Czech art group called Stohoven. And I was uh, a part of like, a, we were two guys who were uh, hackers and we, we've been doing some projects together. And then artists, uh, of course, they are like, okay, you are talking about this Bitcoin thing all the time, but uh, uh, let's see if it can actually work you know talking white papers and software is nice but can you actually build something with this so they signed the <laughs> rental contract for a, a three-story building in prague and uh, we decided to power this building with bitcoin so everything uh, from customer payments to employee salaries everything was working on bitcoin so i was kind of involved in uh, uh, in this kind of experiment uh, very early on. Uh, Polis is now nine years. Uh, there are other locations, not only in Prague. We had one in Bratislava that, uh, that's closed, unfortunately. There's one opening in Košice in Slovakia. So we've been playing with uh, with this technology. So my background is uh, IT, uh, more specifically IT security. And now I'm basically full-time in Bitcoin. I'm, I'm a writer. I wrote several books. So that's uh, that's my current background and, and focus. Yeah, sure. So let's talk about the theme then of parallel economies. And obviously, Bitcoin can play a big part in this. And we many of us would like to see the growth of that. So could you tell us a little bit about why, from your point of view, why is that essential? So uh, it comes from um, uh, the idea, we were inspired uh, by uh, the idea of uh, Václav Benda. Uh, so just a very short uh, historic background. Uh, I'm from uh, what was formerly uh, Czechoslovakia. I grew up during communism. And uh, there was, in 1977, they tried to reform the government. Uh, they wrote this petition. Uh, important people signed it, signed it. It was called Charter 77. And it was not like a, a reform, you know, uh, don't be communist or let's have democracy. It was like, just be a little bit better. And they, uh, uh, the, the establishment, uh, the, the dictatorship, uh, dictatorship of the party completely refused it. And so some of the people, including this Václav Benda, who is behind the idea of Paralni Police, said, okay, so what do we do now? You know, uh, uh, reforms uh, are difficult to organize, um, uh, revolutions are bloody and expensive, so let's, let's do something. So the idea is um, we can uh, say, let's leave everything in society as it is, don't try to reform and build something in parallel that is uh, that is better or at least competes with a, with a normal uh, normal mainstream society so a good example would be for example um, during communism you had to um, uh, had to give your or you had to send your children to a to a school that was of course um, a little bit uh, um, or actually quite a lot uh, 
just a brainwashing institution teaching Marxism, Leninism, and so on. And if you didn't send your children there, they would take them from you. And uh, and basically, uh, it, it's mandatory. You cannot say, oh, I, I don't agree with what you're teaching. But no one... Uh, would uh, forbid you from organizing an evening school of whatever democracy or western thought or something like that so people would meet in a kitchen at 6 p.m and someone would give a, a talk about whatever uh, i've been to the us once and this is how it works for five ten kids so basically the idea is if you have these parallel structures and that that could be also monetary uh, trade uh, uh, they had religious, cultural, uh, doesn't doesn't matter. Um, so if you have these parallel structures, uh, they are competing. Uh, so they exist in parallel to the mainstream society. Uh, and it's interesting because people, people either switch to the new one, which kind of forces the mainstream society to become better because if everyone is leaving, you have to do something or people just leave and uh, and use a better service. So... So this idea is to create as many uh, parallel structures uh, as possible. So uh, for us, uh, what is important, of course, is parallel financial system. That's why we only work with Bitcoin. We, we do not accept uh, state fiat. <laughs> uh, but also you have, uh, you have things like, okay, what happens when there's a, there's a dispute uh, among us? Like, how is it solved? So you need some kind of uh, dispute resolution systems. Uh, how, um, how to do education, of course, it's another huge topic and uh, many, many others. There's parallel energy production, there's uh, food production. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, you do not need to build everything from scratch if something works and no one is interested in building this parallel structure then you can just use the, the mainstream one but for the important stuff we wanted to try and we are beginning nine years ago so you know <laughs> just to give you uh, an idea you know many people were paying for co coffee by typing the address into their laptop you know the, the <laughs> super long bitcoin address you know uh, or scanning uh, the qr code uh, with a with a webcam with the laptop really you know, hoping the checksum works there hey <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so so when we when we were starting we were not like oh okay this is the future you know we were uh, handing away one bitcoins just for people to uh, accept it and you know see you can see it in your wallet you know <laughs> it works so so it's not about necessarily going there from the point we know how to do it better but you can just start building uh, maybe it's it's like entrepreneurship you know you start building if it doesn't uh, turn out uh, well then then uh, you do something else or you say okay maybe the mainstream uh, solution is good enough so you don't know with economy what is uh, or, or with this parallel financial system what is interesting uh, is that uh, we also opted out from the state surveillance uh, which was very interesting um, in uh, many European countries, uh, it is now mandatory to upload all purchases to a government database. So when you go to a pharmacy and you buy whatever, a medicine or, or let's say a, a Viagra, then the pharmacy has to upload this information to, uh, to the government database that, that someone bought it. Of course, if you pay with credit card, then it, this information about the purchase can be paired, paired with your identity. Uh, they often share location and so on. So 
Pavel Polis was one of the few places uh, that openly said, we are not submitting you any information. Uh, so if you want, uh, you know, you basically have to raid us and confiscate something, but we are not going to comply with this law. And this is interesting because we found ourselves, especially in Czech Republic, in other Pavel Polis, it's a, a bit different, but we found ourselves in a position where we gained a little bit of sovereignty because they... It is my opinion uh, that they figured out that it's not worth uh, their time uh, trying to uh, prosecute us because we will always win in the media. You know, let's say they would force us uh, to join uh, this uh, this surveillance system. They would. So, so what would media say? You know, government raided a non-profit organization <laughs> that is go- doing a lot of good, and they are forcing them to spy on their users. You know, <laughs> so if you can work with with the media have a good idea and are creating actually uh, something parallel you don't want anything from the mainstream society that is crucial you know so we do not take uh, you know state subsidies and eu uh, funds and so on then you are in a in a quite a unique position where you're kind of isolated also from uh, from some of the rules of the Uh, mainstream society. So that's interesting. Right. And so this may be applicable for listeners somewhere else in the world that maybe they want to just set up their own BTC pay server and just be a freelancer and take their, you know, earn using Bitcoin. And so I think it's we're just really early. It's it's just difficult for to convey that for a lot of people. But you know, you could be using BTC pay today, you could be using, you know, Moon Wallet or Breeze or Phoenix or one of these uh, easy lightning wallets and just take payment that way. You could be doing it on chain, right? Obviously with, you know, hardware wallets and so on, uh, hardware signing devices. So I think that there's all of these different angles to it. Um, but I think probably best might be to contrast with, right? Because people might be listening and thinking, no, I just want to hodl right now, mm-hmm. you know, and I could understand now personally, I, I am happy to earn and spend, but I also understand and appreciate the people who are just saying, no, I just want to hodl. So what would, what would you say to that person who, who's saying, no, I just hodl? I would say that they have a shitcoin problem. <laughs> and I'll explain what they mean. So so for me, one of the uh, ways uh, how to uh, look at money is that it is, um, uh, or one of the meanings, I think, is um, it can be used as a memory of good deeds of society. So I help you and you give me money. And this money is... Uh, record in a database, let's say a distributed database in this case, and I can use this, uh, let's say, thank you note uh, to uh, to get another good deed of society. So, uh, so let's say, let's say I know that you like Bitcoin, but uh, I only hodl, you know, I, I'm only more sats, I will never spend my sats. So, so you do a good deed for me, and I give you a thank you note of whatever, 100 euros. Um, that's, uh, to me, uh, this is uh, probably like, uh, uh, you know, writing uh, this uh, this uh, thank you note on a piece of paper, you know, maybe spit on it and throw it at you, you know. I know that you prefer Bitcoin as a form of gratitude and I have a shitcoin problem. I want to get rid of my shitcoins uh, in this case, 100 <laughs> euros. So so I dump it on you, you know? And I, I don't think that's very nice, you know? Uh, of course, uh, if I know that you don't have even a wallet and you don't care about it, then okay, I give you 100 euros and uh, 
but it would be much nicer if I knew that uh, that you like Bitcoin if I paid you in Bitcoin. So what is the shitcoin problem? So obviously I had 100 euros <laughs> that I wanted to get rid of. <laughs> and instead of buying Bitcoin for it and uh, uh, showing my appreciation to you in a way that you would appreciate more, I was solving my shitcoin problem by, by dump, dumping this coin. So in Parallel Police, we had uh, one guy who was, uh, he didn't want to spend, it was actually Litecoin back then because Bitcoin had fees and Lightning uh, was not uh, not ready there, uh, not, not ready yet uh, for, for payments. And he was like, oh no, I cannot buy this espresso with, uh, with my precious coins because uh, in uh, a few years, I will probably be able to buy whatever, a bicycle for it. Uh, so he had a strategy. He would go, he would uh, pay for espresso, and then he would buy twice as much uh, uh, Litecoin or Bitcoin in, in the ATM. So he just solved his shitcoin problem, <laughs> and, and and that's it. So so I think uh, if you uh, for for people who are not in Bitcoin right now, I think this way of looking at it as a memory of good deeds of society is good. And uh, what I always say to people is, if the main database of or main memory of good deeds of society gets corrupted, which is being corrupted every day by central bankers, it might be a good idea to have some entries in the backup database, which is Bitcoin. But then uh, use it also as a form of showing your gratefulness. Uh, if you uh, if you want uh, to have uh, more Bitcoin, then then just buy more. It's very simple. Yeah, so it's an interesting framing and an interesting way of putting it. And I think one other interesting point or question that I think would be interesting to hear your view is in some of your writing, you point out this idea now in relation to doing a parallel society or parallel structure, you say it's not about mass adoption or about gaining acceptance by the system. Why is that? So these are two topics. Uh, so uh, mainstream adoption, I think, uh, is a wrong goal because uh, the value of Bitcoin is different to other people. So some people who, let's say, travel a lot or or live in a in an oppressive government, uh, they they might uh, uh, they might want it right now. For some people, they're just not ready. You know, they're afraid of volatility. You know, they would uh, do something stupid such as, uh, you know, keep it on an exchange or something like that. And I've learned that you, if you push it uh, too much at people, uh, they, they kind of start uh, uh, being uh, um, a little bit reluctant. They don't want to talk to you. And we push it because in parallel police, everyone who wants to buy anything, they have to go through this Bitcoin torture, you know, <laughs> uh, get a wallet and and so on. So so I've I've actually onboarded a lot of people, but I don't think that this is a good a good goal. I think uh, for many people, it is um, like they should start using it in their own terms and they should get it when it's ready. That being said, you know this. Entry in a backup backup database is a good idea, but uh, not everyone is crazy like many of us in Paralnipolis who are you know all in on Bitcoin and are even borrowing fiat uh, because uh, why why would you not short fiat, <laughs> especially if the interest rate is lower than uh, than inflation? Uh, but for for mainstream like. Uh, not everyone is ready. And uh, if we start slowly building these parallel societies and people go there, people join this parallel society because it brings them value, 
the quality of the relationship, uh, relationships between people and the, the reasons and the quality of acceptance of Bitcoin will be better. So it's not, you know, someone pushed this on me and then it crashed uh, 50% and now I'm poor and why did you uh, talk to me, uh, talk me into it and, and so on. So you, you basically... I, I don't like this idea of of pushing. I think uh, uh, people people have to uh, have to choose it. Um, as for acceptance uh, by the by the institutions and mainstream society and and the system, let's say, I don't think that's a good idea because uh, if you are building a parallel, uh, you don't want uh, them to uh, to bring the corruption basically into the into the parallel society. So that's that's why we. Not only not accept uh, uh, fiat, but uh, but we uh, also uh, refuse all the money from like, uh, for example, there are uh, uh, sometimes exhibitions or um, or you cooperate with artists, but you do not want to uh, interact with artists that are financed by Ministry of Culture. Why? Because that didn't uh, come up organically. You know, there's someone, uh, someone in some commission uh, that decided that this is a good art. But that's not, uh, you know, you're basically perpetuating these uh, these uh, um, ideas of the system, which doesn't have to be bad. Uh, I have to admit, sometimes they finance good art. Sometimes the train runs. You know, <laughs> sometimes the road works. But if you are trying to build a parallel society, it's not a question of picking what is good from the mainstream society. The question is, okay, can we build it better? If not, why? Uh, is there demand for it or not? And the mainstream, especially financial system, uh, brings a lot of corruption. There's a lot of, you know, printed money, um, low interest rates. We are still quite a lot of dependent on, uh, uh, on, uh, let's say, US dollar interest rates uh, and these things. And if you bring institutions, it becomes uh, more and more corrupt. I will give you an example because it's not only uh, uh, regulations by law, but also regulations by by the network effects of the of the financial system. So, for example, there are uh, Bitcoin ATM providers uh, here in Czech Republic and Slovakia, and they were uh, they they were uh, selling uh, Monero without KYC. So that's just, of course, uh, Bitcoin as well. Uh, but but I want to make a point uh, about regulation. So, what is the business of an ATM operator? Once a week, someone comes with a key, unlocks the ATM, takes out the cash, goes to a bank, meaning regulated, you know, mainstream uh, bank. They do a cash deposit. Then they wire the money to, let's say, Kraken or or, or a mainstream uh, Bitcoin exchange which is also a part of traditional financial system. And then they, then they uh, swap it to Bitcoin and then they can sell more Bitcoin. So we expect, okay, it's, an, it's, a, it's the best Bitcoin, it's non-KYC, you have nothing to do with the traditional financial system. But once a week, this round happens and uh, it can break. So two things happened. Uh, first, uh, many ATM operators uh, um, had a problem with banks. Banks just closed their bank accounts because they learned, okay, you are selling Bitcoin without KYC. For us, uh, the banks, we are 
uh, risking our license because someone could whatever launder money, uh, whatever ex- explanation, but their license is at stake. They only can uh, w- can do uh, their business if the state allows them. So they said, okay, we are not going to risk it. You know, we are not making any money for, from you. You know, cash deposit is $1, wires are free. We are not making any money from you and we, we have a lot of risk. So actually, uh, it was a case. Uh, we, we even did a video by shining the giant Bitcoin logos on banks and central banks. But this was the problem. And they didn't break any law. It was not ma- uh, mandatory by regulation to do any kind of KYC. It was self-regulated by the banking system. The next thing that happened, okay, they finally got some bank account and they could uh, operate. But then uh, an exchange told them, okay, it's all good. You have your AML policies and you know forms and everything, but you cannot sell Monero. We list Monero on our exchange. You can buy Monero on our exchange, but you cannot offer it in the ATM because uh, we are afraid that the banks uh, will uh, disconnect us from the banking system. So the banks actually regulate also the exchanges because they need a banking connection. So a lot of these uh, regulations are not actually passed in the parliament, but they are enforced through this, uh, you know, everyone wants to be part of this uh, of this. Uh, huge network effect of wire transfers and uh, SEPA transfers. So, Yeah, yeah. So uh, you were saying basically that banks, uh, in effect, regulate or they push conditions onto the exchange to say, no, you're not allowed to sell Monero because we don't like the regulatory risk that pushes onto us, basically. They're worried that they're going to lose their banking license or that their own regulator is going to come after them for that. Or other banks will not want to have a Bank banking with connection with them. Yeah. So this is interesting. So I think uh, for us Bitcoiners, it is uh, much more important to kind of build out this parallel society than to ask for acceptance. Because with acceptance uh, of the system, of the, of the mainstream society, uh, there are many more strings attached than people realize, you know. Because again, you know, buying non-KYC Bitcoin in ATM, it, it feels very parallel. But uh, actually, if you see, see what's behind it, it it's, it's not, 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 so, uh, not so parallel. So I think that building and actually spreading Bitcoin to people that want to use it is much better than, uh, you know, praying <laughs> for institutions to come. And, and they came, you know, in 2017, everyone was, you know, ah, institutions will come, they will accept ETFs, and then pension funds will buy Bitcoin, and, you know, uh, countries will buy Bitcoin, and it will be great, it will uh, moon the price. But now, you know, you see institutions bought it, they stored it with a custodian, uh, they lent the money out, and we have this giant crash and a lot of problems. And the question is, was it was it worth it? Was it actually, like, did we actually need the institutions? Was it something, I don't know. I'm not hyped about institutions and uh, acceptance of, of the mainstream society because I'm, I'm trying to... Uh, build something that is in the end hopefully better so yeah so i think there's a lot in there that i agree with there's maybe some small things i disagree with or maybe i maybe take a slightly in-between position i see it more like 
we can take advantage of the fact that there are favorable regulations or laws in different countries. So obvious example being El Salvador, right? Having a Bitcoin legal tender law. I know from a principled point of view, it's not ideal. So there is Article 7. I certainly, I get that. Article 7 of the law theoretically mandates that merchants must accept Bitcoin. Now, I know in practice, of course, it's not enforced. In practice, yes. it's probably... More businesses don't accept Bitcoin than do in El Salvador for now, mm -hmm. right? I'm hope obviously I would like to see the number grow voluntarily, but let me put it this way. I think there are times where the enemy of your enemy can be your friend. And in some ways you can see the way that President Bikela has come out and spoken out against the IMF and other entities out there that in some ways, okay, yes, we're libertarians and we don't necessarily like the state, but in some ways I also have appreciation for what they're doing because they could have done it a lot worse, right? So for example, they could have started their own shitcoin, right? Venezuela, they started yeah. their own Petro shitcoin in, in you know the past <laughs> cycle in 2017. You know, yeah. they they basically did say no Bitcoin only. They, you know, they have this digital you know securities law. They are trying to treat other coins as securities. So I think there's aspects of that that I can appreciate because in a way they're actually restraining their own power, right? Because otherwise they would have been leveling capital gains taxes on people who spend Bitcoin in the country. But because it's a legal tender, mm -hmm. they're not. So aren't there some aspects of that that we can actually say, hey, that's actually a good thing. It's a net reduction in state intervention in the market for money, right? Yeah, I agree with this. I'm a, uh, I'm a great fan of regulatory arbitrage. So I like to go where, where I'm treated best. Uh, I spent more time in uh, Panama and Paraguay. Uh, Panama uh, has uh, actually a constitution that forbids government to say what is legal tender. So you can use whatever you want and there's no capital gains taxes. Also in Paraguay, no taxes. So um, it is... I, I agree that El Salvador is, uh, of course, this regulation is favorable to Bitcoin. I agree. No cap, like less taxes, always better. <laughs> so, uh, so, so that's nice. Uh, but I think it is more um, a PR thing. So, if you want to do a regulatory arbitrage, uh, uh, you can also go to Dubai, you can go to Panama, you can go to Paraguay and uh, be treated the same. Of course, not every hot dog stand uh, will accept Bitcoin because it's not uh, you know, promoted, but it's more of a PR thing. And I think people should uh, definitely make use of, uh, uh, of these uh, regulatory opportunities. But what I say uh, is do not rely on it. So what I mean by that is even if you are in a country that uh, uh, that doesn't uh, uh, have capital gains taxes, that doesn't mean you should go to a, to a KYC exchange because at some point there might be a new dictator and they might say, oh, we are confiscating all Bitcoin. So it is still a good idea, even though uh, you're not legally taxed on, uh, uh, on your Bitcoin holdings, uh, maybe don't go overboard and you know wire money to to whatever uh, Coinbase and uh, or or any other KYC exchange and and uh, uh, withdraw it to to your wallet. But uh, uh, but uh, maybe also uh, buy peer to peer. Uh, maybe don't tell everyone uh, how much Bitcoin you have and uh, don't dox your uh, dox your addresses and and things like that. Because yes, situation right now might be favorable in El Salvador or, or all these countries that I uh, that I mentioned, but it might not be the case in the future, and it might be a problem in the future. 
And I think, yeah, that's a fair point also. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you there. Things can change. I also think there is a broader point here about some of these problems are just fiat problems, right? Like the problem today is that most people have a lot of their money in bank accounts, right? And the challenge here is how do we help them get out of that and, you know, get that money out of there and get it into Bitcoin? And that's obviously what we want to achieve or at least promote um, in whatever way we can. Um, so that's why I, I take a bit of an in-between position. I see it like we want to grow our base. We want to win as many hearts and minds as possible of Bitcoiners, meaning build, build up the base of Bitcoin users, people who are earning and spending and everything. And hopefully then that helps us in terms of the amount of people that the government would be screwing over if they start to become very unjust or raise the taxes or do all these kinds of things. Um, but mm -hmm. I mean, to your point, I think you're right that people have to be wary and if they can have a plan b right like have some somewhere else that you could go i understand obviously costs can be prohibitive but it depends on where you go what countries you're looking at there there are ways to you know find lower cost ways to have a plan b as an example so i think that's something that we can look at but i want to get into this whole parallel system as well i know this is obviously something you are quite vocal about you've been writing about this and talking about this so let's talk a little bit about that so what does that look like if you want to help grow the parallel Bitcoin economy for your family and friends? You know, I, I see in your writing, you mentioned this idea of, um, is it Vexlax? I think this is like a Czech term. Is it Vexlax or Vexel or something? Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that? So again, uh, this is coming to our <laughs> communist heritage <laughs> uh, during Czechoslovakia. So um, uh, in uh, in Czechoslovakia, uh, there were there was uh, not a good way of exchanging foreign currency to Czech crowns and the other way around. Uh, travel was prohibited. So there were people. If someone came from abroad uh, via bus, uh, airplane, or train. Uh, at the stations or airports, there would be these uh, these shady-looking uh, guys uh, that were uh, uh, that were saying "Geld wechseln," so that means money exchange, you know. And they would—it's uh, from German because uh, most traded foreign currency was Deutsche Mark, the German German currency. So they would actually give you uh, a pretty good rate. Of course, there were a lot of scammers, so you had to uh, had to make sure that uh, you were not uh, not scammed by them. Uh, but they actually gave you uh, gave you or helped you get what you wanted, basically. So so these mutually beneficial exchanges. So. They're quite known. There are even movies about them uh, in um, especially Czech uh, cinematography. And also uh, what is super interesting to me is uh, when, the, when the communist regime fell, which was uh, the, there was a 33rd anniversary a few years ago, the people from the central bank after the fall of communist regime, they needed to set an exchange rate, an official uh, exchange rate. So they came to the Vexlaks <laughs> And they asked them, okay, if I if I want to buy a Czechoslovak crown right now, how much would you give me for a hundred Deutsche Mark? And the Vexlax <laughs> said it and they kind of averaged it out and they said, okay, so this is the official exchange rate because they didn't know. So that's why I use this term, but uh, you have uh, you have many uh, similar similar people, similar exchangers, merchants. Uh, for example, in Argentina, they're, call, they're, they're called Arbolitos. 
and these people will give you uh, pesos for dollars uh, in a, what is called a blue market exchange rate. So not the official government one, but the, the real exchange rate. And there is an art Actually, to this. sorry, you're right. Can you just explain the um, one comment just to help explain for listeners? What's the point of this blue rate? Now, as I understand, basically, in many cases, what happens is the government gives a bad rate. Basically, the government is trying to give like a false rate. And so then when tourists who are unaware just come and they spend with their card, they are spending at the official rate, whereas let's say the blue rate is kind of arguably a three times better. Yeah. Yes. So if you could explain a bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a way to control the exchange rate, basically to pump your uh, fiat shitcoin, which is uh, which <laughs> is uh, in- inflating. And because these uh, dealers, uh, they are neutral to the exchange rate. So they, they basically, they want to make their fee. So let's say they, they their fee is whatever, 3%, 5%. That's what they're after. So they know that if they sell you pesos uh, and uh, uh, and get your US dollars, they will be able to do the, the opposite trade in uh, 30 minutes because someone else has uh, has uh, an opposite problem. So basically, and, and it's a going rate. So uh, it is discovered by the competition. Uh, it's not uh, it, it's not one company. The, they are competing uh, for the for for their business. So they have to give you a good rate. So uh, so that's that's why uh, these opportunities exist in crypto. So a lot a lot of times people are changing uh, stable coins for Bitcoin. Uh, or uh, cash for Bitcoin. So that that's our, that that are uh, these are the two most common uh, cases, and uh, sometimes stable coins for uh, papers for uh, for fiat uh, banknotes. So normally, uh, what I recommend people doing is start your own. We call them backslag groups, but your trading group, meaning you can have five to ten friends who sometimes buy, sometimes sell. You know, someone wants to pay rent, uh, they, need, they need fiat, someone wants to buy more Bitcoin. So it can be a, it can be a signal group, it can be uh, any, any other form of social interaction, uh, except for Telegram, which is a spyware. <laughs> <laughs> but please use encrypted, uh, end-to-end encrypted messengers. And um, in these situations, this is quite common that the uh, trade clears. You don't need a service like, you know, I, I like all these uh, uh, BISC and HODL HODL and all these services to, uh, to facilitate these trades. But in most cases, you can actually find a counterparty for cash, that is important because many services actually don't use uh, don't use cash, but use uh, uh, wire transfers, and that can be a problem. And uh, I uh, know of uh, several people who had a problem because they were trading wire to uh, to Bitcoin. Back to the show in a moment. Swan Bitcoin is the lead sponsor of this show, and they are putting out a new product. It's called Swan Premium. Now, for those of you who sign up on the waitlist, it is going to be free for the first year. So normally it will cost $20 per month, but people who are part of the Swan Premium program are going to receive exclusive research reports, educational content, as well as discounts on Bitcoin products and privileged access to many Swan events. So along with all the other benefits that Swan Bitcoin has for customers, this will be an extra tier of research reports and exclusive content available for listeners and customers so if you're interested go and sign up it's free for now over at swan.com slash premium and this product will launch sometime early or mid next year 
when it comes to using Bitcoin, are you still using a plain old block explorer? Bitcoin is growing beyond a single layer. It's a fully fledged multi-layer ecosystem and, and mempool.space is helping you visualize this. You can see the mempool or Wizards mempool. You can see the blockchain. You can see second layer networks like Lightning Network. And with the Lightning Explorer, you can see the different Lightning nodes. You can see the channels that are open, at least the public ones. You can see the uh, total capacity also. With mempool.space, you don't even have to trust a third party. It's free and open source software. You can run it yourself. You can host it yourself with one click on some of the full node distributions, such as Umbral and Raspberry Blitz and others. Now, if you're with an enterprise, mempool.space has custom mempool instances with your company branding. So if you're interested, go to mempool.space slash enterprise. Surprise. And now back to the show. I see. So to be clear, what we're talking about here is if they were using fiat bank account transfers, then they might have had their fiat bank account either frozen or shut down because they were maybe running a lot of volume or through investigated right. volume or, or you stole the Bitcoin to some drug dealer and they're being investigated. Now everyone is being investigated. You know, it's a, it's a permanent record in a, a fiat database. Often uh, banks want to verify your source of funds. So that might be uh, quite difficult because uh, they treat it as income, even though you are just selling Bitcoin and it's it's not necessarily an income so for cash it's good so in your city in your town where you live you know find five to ten friends it is very surprising that you don't need a hundred people usually you can clear a, a trade among five to ten people it works very well there are several several groups you have trust because you know these people it's not you know at everyone I recommend people have also a, a parallel chat group when they can, you know, uh, post news and links to podcasts and everything and discuss. But a trading group is for clearing uh, trades. Uh, but sometimes what happens is there is uh, this imbalance. So imbalance right now when we are recording is uh, 25th November. Bitcoin is whatever, $16,000. So it's a, uh, it, it's a crash. Everyone wants to buy Bitcoin. So if I open my um, uh, the trading group with the friends, everyone says, buy, buy, buy. No one is willing to sell cheap Bitcoin. So this is an opportunity for semi-professional uh, trader that, uh, that sells Bitcoin. And they, they are not after uh, making, uh, uh, they are not uh, after cashing out of Bitcoin. So they, they want to uh, stay neutral to the exchange rate. So they need to hedge the price somehow. Uh, and then they will buy it from, from you later. Uh, so basically, same idea as the Vexlag. They want to make uh, the, their 3 to 5% uh, uh, fee. They do not care about the exchange rate. And this is uh, one of the ways how people in uh, Bitcoin parallel economy can uh, either make a living or just uh, uh, make some, some, uh, get some additional income. And it, it is not for everyone. But usually, uh, when you see these uh, these trading groups, there are one or two people who start doing this, uh, and they they actually help with the with the demand. So normally, you would clear uh, the trades with zero percent fee because there are like uh, two uh, matching uh, demands. Uh, someone wants to buy, someone wants to sell, so they they go zero percent, uh, and everyone is happy. Uh, but when there's this imbalance, uh, someone who is uh, semi-professional can actually clear the trade, uh, help people get their cheap Bitcoin or if they want to sell their expensive Bitcoin or, or whatever else, and they, they may 
make their their fee they need to know how to how to be hedged but uh, uh but that's uh, that's about it so yeah so on on that can we just talk a little bit about that hedging aspect then so let's say you you know the listener of this show wants to think about being that semi pro person to help their friends does that mean they they then need to go to an exchange to as an okay as an example let's say uh, you want to buy a certain amount. I'm willing to sell you some of that. That means I have to sell that to you, get the physical cash, and then go buy that on an exchange, let's say, or some other way that I have to acquire more coins so that I'm net neutral in terms of my Bitcoin stack. Is that the basic idea? Yes, but uh, I don't recommend uh, just buying uh, Bitcoin because uh, then you are wiring money somewhere. So I uh, prefer derivative exchanges uh, in the, in this case. Uh, there are many that don't require KYC. Uh, so the, the advantage of derivative exchange is that uh, they do not deal with fiat. So they do not have this problem of I need to keep my bank connectivity. So uh, basically uh, what you would do, uh, it's a, one of the easiest um, uh, way to uh, to have uh, dollars, um, dollar value represented in Bitcoin is buy Bitcoin and uh, short the de- derivative. Uh, if you, uh, uh, maybe your listeners know Collider Wallet, which is a, uh, yep. a, a Collider project, uh, they actually do this uh, in the wallet. So you can actually see USD balance in the in their new, uh, it's a lightning wallet uh, with, um, uh, uh, with integration to the derivative exchange. So what they do is you have, a, a, let's say Bitcoin worth $1,000, and then, so so that if you have Bitcoin worth $1,000, that means you are long Bitcoin. Then you open a short. You're not shorting Bitcoin because you, you own it. So long and short cancel out and you have variable, am- uh, na- uh, a variable amount in Bitcoin, but the same dollar value. So you can do this. Uh, the advantage of doing this uh, through derivative exchange is that the collateral on the exchange doesn't have to be the full amount. So you can actually keep m- most of the Bitcoin in your hardware wallet and just risk the part you need for uh, for uh, um, handling the the fluctuations in the in the exchange rate. Many people do stable coins. Uh, I'm not a fan of stable coins, especially not Tether. Uh, and the, the reason is different than with uh, with many people. Actually, Tether is uh, is backed. Uh, if we believe uh, what, what they say, but let's say we believe what they say, I think 60% of it is uh, US treasuries. And uh, I think buying Tether is directly financing the US state. You are basically <laughs> buying their debt with, with your crypto. So that's the reason. Of course, uh, many people say that there might be a bank run on Tether or uh, other problems. But uh, for me, it is philosophical. I do not want to help uh, the US government to finance itself. So uh, if stable coins, I actually recommend uh, more decentralized uh, that are that are collateralized with Bitcoin or, uh, or another crypto. So that can be collateralized by uh, Rob Bitcoin and uh, it actually creates a, a pressure uh, for Bitcoin. Uh, it, it removes uh, Bitcoin supply. So it uh, actually has is a small pressure uh, for, uh, for appreciation of Bitcoin price. So you can do stable coins, you can do derivatives. Uh, 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 what many people don't know is they can... Uh, oh, one, one more thing. If you do uh, derivatives, uh, you are usually paid something called the funding rate. 
So this is uh, this is good uh, when uh, uh, when there are no trades, when there's uh, you know boring. Uh, everyone clears their their trades in the group. There is no one that is actually uh, that actually wants to pay you the fee. You can actually get uh, an interest rate just from holding the the, the short. Another thing you can do is you don't want to be in US dollars. You want to be the other way around. So what you can do is you can take thousand dollars and open a thousand dollar long on Bitcoin. So you have these papers, but you are keeping the Bitcoin value. So you don't, uh, you are not exposed to uh, price depreciation of US dollar. You are actually holding. Uh, Bitcoin value. It's not Bitcoin because it's a it's a derivative product. But you have these papers, uh, and on top you have uh, you have the long position that uh, that will actually it will be the same as holding Bitcoin worth thousand dollars at the, at the time when you when you opened the position. But uh, for this you are usually paying the funding rate, so it's uh, it's a little bit more costly. But you are not uh, you are not holding fiat, so that might also be an option. Yeah, interesting. So just to be clear, this generally will include custodial risk, right? But the I guess what you're saying is this would only be for a small portion, and, and this is only for the person who's doing that, let's call it semi-pro Vexlack yes. guy yes. in the group, who's doing this to sort of help facilitate for that group that he's operating as part of to yes. help them do their trades, yes. that he's using the derivatives and a certain portion of coin is used and he's accepting the custodial risk in that time period, right, obviously. And I know it's interesting. There are projects out there. As you said, Collider has this. I know LN Markets, I think they recently launched a similar feature. And even Bitcoin Beach Wallet has a feature called StableSats. So I did an interview with uh, Nicholas Bertie talking about that. And basically, it's a similar thing. That's an OKEx, which is a centralized custodial exchange, no? I see. Yeah. But even with Collider or et cetera, they are still connecting through to some der derivative exchange at the end of the day, right? So at the end of the day, you're, you're taking the custodial, right? Yeah. Uh, they are actually clearing it themselves. So they're not sending it anywhere else. Collider has the exchange itself. So it's store stored with the Collider. It's not a party big exchange but you can also do it non-custodial so one of the fun ways of doing it is uh, actually uh, borrowing the fiat so uh, you can you can do the same thing you use bitcoin as a collateral you can do two of three multi-sig or something you find someone okay you find a family member you tell them i'm going to pay you three percent per year interest rate which is better than the bank or five percent and then you can uh, you can actually have the the fiat value uh, that way. So uh, many people don't understand it. It's uh, like you should write it down and draw it on the paper um, uh, <laughs> right. to, to yeah. really understand. Uh, I'm I'm yeah. not going to explain it, but uh, the general idea is that collateralized lo loan and derivative is the same product. You can do one with the other. Uh, so so. Borrowing is shorting fiat, and uh, uh, you can go long Bitcoin, and that is also shorting right. fiat. So, right, so you right. can actually yeah. replicate this, and you can do it in a total peer-to-peer -to -peer fashion with you know with people, with friends, with family members, uh, and and you get the the uh, basically the same exposure. So, so it's it's like Lego bricks. So, <laughs> yeah, there's little pieces, and you can put them together yeah. in different combinations. Yeah. I kind of yeah, I kind of get that idea. And look, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not that everyone has to go be the semi-pro Vexlack, right? Yeah, you could yeah, just definitely. be literally just having a group where it's just peer-to-peer, -peer and nobody really bothers. With, like, and you just kind of okay at the times of big 
market moves, there's just probably going to be a lot of people who aren't trading yet. And oh, well, you're just going to have to wait until people are ready to trade again. And so be it, right? And at least that way, there's no custodial risk. It's only peer-to-peer trading. And so yes. that's another way to grow this, call it Bitcoin circular economy, or at least for people who can't easily access it, um, you know, if, if for whatever reason, let's say they don't want to use KYC exchange or they don't, you know, for whatever reason, they or they prefer, you know, for privacy reasons to just do it peer to peer. A tip for, for people is uh, many people, when I talk about this, they ask me, oh, what about uh, um, uh, uh, tainted coins and so on? So... Pro tip, use lightning. Uh, you don't want to uh, stand on the street in cold <laughs> waiting for the transaction to confirm. And with lightning, uh, you don't care about the origin of the UTXO because there are no UTXOs. So if you actually use lightning, it's, you know, here you go, cash, I see the transaction, it's final, goodbye. Takes uh, 30 seconds <laughs> with because of uh, possible double spends uh, with uh, on chain. You would I, I recommend waiting for the confirmation, but then you have uh, the, the risk of okay, where does the transaction come from and and so on. So with Lightning, uh, all these problems just go away. So if you can, if it's not a huge amount, uh, I recommend uh, doing Lightning, and then you can do whatever you want when you come home. You can. Uh, off ramp from lightning to on chain if you if you need to yeah right and that makes a lot of sense and i know you also did a bitcoin wallet overview so now might be a good time to talk through some of the key ideas so listeners i'll put the links in the show notes but uh you're right if you could just give us a bit of an overview what were you hoping to achieve here with your bitcoin lightning wallet overview all right so there were many myths about this and of course the uh, ecosystem is developing so uh, many people would say okay i have a problem from uh, with sending from breeze to phoenix let's say and everyone would say oh it's breeze's fault or it's phoenix's fault so i so i thought okay Maybe it would be a good idea to do test of every wallet that I'm testing to every other wallet. So I would see, okay, if Breeze has problem sending to Phoenix, but not to Moon and not to Blue Wallet, then it might be a problem with, with Phoenix or, or or other way around. Another thing that people were kind of, uh, that, that there have been a lot of discussions is that uh, a lot of people were saying that Android uh, wallets are better. Uh, because uh, of how the push notifications work and uh, and uh, accepting into Android might work better. And there were uh, even people saying, you know, Phoenix on iOS is worse than Phoenix on Android and things like that. So I wanted to see if that's the case. So that's why I did both um, uh, iOS and Android. And then there, uh, the, uh, the last question was, does it still make sense to use custodial wallets or we are uh, in, a, in a position where we can just go with non-custodial. So I remember I was uh, in a, uh, some uh, lightning uh, hack day in Munich, um, maybe three, four years ago, uh, and everyone was buying uh, their flat whites uh, with, uh, uh, with lightning wallets. And then I asked the barista, so, so what's your experience with accepting uh, uh, all these coins? It was accepting to, to some note, uh, not, not a mob- mobile wallet. Someone uh, just uh, did, I, I don't remember what kind of note uh, it was. 
so it was some some point of sale terminal and uh, and uh, the guy said oh uh, everyone is paying in very weird ways including you know connecting to the node with ssh and doing you know <laughs> ln command line pay invoice and paste and like it it was really that wild like the first days of bitcoin but uh, lightning edition and the uh, and the barista said that uh, that the only wallet that has no problems is blue wallet so which is custodial in a case of lightning not in case of on chain it's a good on chain wallet but uh, for uh, for lightning it's custodial unless you run your own node so i wanted to verify if this is still the case uh, if we should recommend people um custodial wallets uh, and then i wanted to see the fees and uh, and the amounts so uh, just a quick results maybe uh, if you want to read the article, I would be uh, happy if you if you dived into the details. But I found very little problems uh, with liquidity. So any wallet to any other wallet basically works. Uh, one exception was uh, Moon Wallet uh, for receiving larger amounts. Uh, it didn't work as much. Or uh, I would say uh, up to uh, 1.5 million sats, uh, basically everything except of receiving into Moon worked. 3 million sats, uh, things kind of broke down. And, and it's also the amount where uh, it might make uh, more sense to do an on-chain transaction uh, also because of the fees. Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, doesn't matter if you have Breeze or Phoenix or anything else, you know, the payment will go through. Uh, at least during my test, I had no problems. It was basically instant. Second thing uh, that is interesting that the uh, custodial wallets uh, were no better uh, in terms of uh, reliability. Uh, in terms of fees, I was very surprised that Blue Wallet is the most expensive. So if people were wanting, okay, I don't want to deal with channels uh, because I want to save on fees, uh, then sending with Blue Wallet was the most expensive to any other wallet by far. Uh, wallet of Satoshi was uh, actually the cheapest. So in this case, it might be a good idea. If you really want to save on fees, uh, uh, it, was, it was quite okay. But I don't think uh, that there is a good case uh, to use a custodial wallet anymore because of uh, Breeze and Phoenix. They're reliable. They work. Uh, the fees are reasonable. Uh, Breeze is a little bit more transparent about the fees. With Phoenix, you don't know if you are going to pay a fee for an incoming transaction. So you, you might, you might not. Uh, and Breeze is also a little bit cheaper. Uh, Phoenix is a little bit faster. And one thing that uh, uh, it is uh, hard to convey to other people is uh, Moon Wallet is not actually Lightning Wallet. Uh, and right. uh, yeah. uh, and uh, I like it. I'm happy uh, that uh, they're doing what they're doing. They should be a little bit more transparent about how it actually works. And I'll give you just one. So basically, you are always paying on-chain fees. So sending to Moon uh, is expensive. Uh, the sender pays the fee. Uh, so they might not be happy <laughs> uh, if, uh, if uh, because they don't know they're paying to Moon, but it will be uh, probably most expensive. But the biggest problem is that sometimes uh, Moon, uh, even for paying Lightning invoice, requires on-chain confirmation. So imagine you are standing at the cashier at the cafe. You think you have a Lightning wallet, which is instant. You press send, and then you will see the screen, which happened to me during the test. 
that sorry uh, for this uh, we we deem this uh, transaction too risky and you have to wait for confirmation which is 18 minutes or 10 minutes it was 18 minutes in my case but uh, average is uh, 10 minutes yeah. and it won't go through the the other problem is you cannot cancel it you can you can't say oh okay so i'll pay cash or i'll pay with other wallet you know it's you send it to the blockchain so so you have to actually wait for the transaction and then you're yeah. blocking the qe and it's uh, it's kind of weird so yeah so moon i like moon uh, for one use case and that that is off-ramping uh, from lightning to on-chain because that works really well so if you have a phoenix wallet and you want uh, on-chain coins it is actually cheaper to send it to moon and then send it on-chain than to use the phoenix swap out service so that might be something that uh, also anonymizes a little bit the utxos and so on so Right. Yeah. I think one thing to add there now, I say as well, I think a lot of I've played around with Phoenix Breeze and Moon a lot myself. And I think my experience has pretty much mirrored yours almost exactly. Right. So I am a fan of all three of them. I will disclose I am an investor in Breeze as part of Bitcoin Adventures. So, you know, I have an interest here, but I think it's fair to say with Breeze, it's probably it's arguably more self-sovereign because it is doing its own route finding on the node, on the phone. Yeah. It is a lightning node on your phone. So that's one interesting part. Whereas with Phoenix, it is relying on async um, because you can only do have a channel with async and you must, it async basically knows who you're paying. Um, so there is a, arguably a bit of a privacy aspect there. Although Phoenix is probably a bit more slick. It's a little bit more faster in terms of making yes. the payment, right? Because of that. So, you know, I think... And you don't have to synchronize uh, because right. uh, there's no graph sync. Yeah, yeah, it's an SPV wallet, yeah. so so there's there's a sync. Yeah. Whereas, let me explain with Moon. So one other thing with Moon is, I think for listeners, it's probably useful to think of it more like think of it more like a Bitcoin on-chain wallet that can pay Lightning. Like, I think that's an easier and way receive. for most people to understand. Yes, it can receive yes. a Lightning too, and that's because of the model that they're using currently, where it's not a Lightning native wallet per se. Now, I'm not. You know, like I still think it's a great, you know, first choice for a lot of people. It's a great first wallet for a lot of people, especially if let's say they have their coins on an exchange and they are going to get their coins off that exchange. Moon is actually a pretty good choice there because you don't have a 4 million sat limit like you do with Breeze, right? And because you're not having to do swap in and swap out, you're just taking it like an on-chain payment that can make the fees a bit cheaper for yes. that person who just wants to, you know, withdraw like it's their first wallet. I think it's a good choice there. So uh, now that's Ed Moon. I, I know they will eventually have to switch their model. I know they're going to switch more to a Lightning native model. So, you know, some of this could change in the future, right? But in terms of just as things are today, right? That, that's why it's so confusing because they are talking about where they want to go to. On I, I've uh, heard various podcasts uh, with them and they're talking about the vision and it's not clear when they're talking about the vision and when they're talking about their current uh, situation. One more thing I would add, uh, and that actually mirrored our experience from Bitcoin Coffee, from people paying uh, uh, and not many people actually understand what's going on there. Uh, it's a problem, especially with uh, Phoenix and also some on-chain wallets. Uh, the problem is that uh, it connects to Electrum ports and they are blocked by uh, many uh, data providers, mobile phone, um, uh, mobile data providers. So what would uh, uh, so that's the first problem. You would open the wallet and it would be in the connecting mode, and you are not able to pay. 
So just that you know, if this happens to you, uh, you have a problem with your internet connection, they're filtering the ports. So that's the most probable cause. There is another cause, uh, uh, which is um, that they uh, uh, select the Electrum server randomly. And some of them don't work because they're not operated by async. It's just a random list of Electrum servers. So sometimes you would open it and you would see it connecting and it would not work. So you have to kill it and uh, run it one more time and it will choose uh, a different Electrum server and then it will connect. So if this happens to you or if you are accepting Lightning payments and this happens to your customers, uh, either tell them to connect to the Wi-Fi uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the cafeteria or restaurant or wherever and use them connection that will allow um, uh, connecting to the Electrum ports. Or another option is if the user has a VPN, they might connect to the VPN that will go around this problem. And this is like, this is quite common. So if, if you uh, if you are in parallel police and people are trying to pay, uh, like I see it uh, uh, twice an hour, you know, because maybe because the operators that people use really block the ports. So that, that is another thing uh, I also verified during the test and uh, it might be a good idea for uh, async to, first of all, if it doesn't connect in three seconds, then pick another Electrum server. And second, uh, uh, drop uh, the connection through uh, SSL on standard port uh, 443, and then it would be more reliable. Because many people, like if you're testing it, maybe if you're a developer at Async, you don't know because uh, you always use the same internet connection. Yeah. And you know what? It could also be that certain countries have this. So it could be even, this is a Czech, maybe it's a Czech Republic thing that maybe telecoms providers in the Czech Republic are blocking it and other countries aren't, or I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, but people use, uh, uh, I, I experienced this at HCPP, uh, which is a, an international conference. And uh, there were people with uh, French uh, providers that had this same problem and not all all Czech uh, and Slovak providers are actually blocking these connections. So, gotcha. uh, but yeah. uh, but but it. Uh, I think the more common problem is uh, just uh, Phoenix selects a, a server that is down for gotcha. maintenance yeah. upgrade or something. Yeah. So yeah, I, but like I think the point is though that we I I and I think I agree with you. I think we're now at a point where the non-custodial user experience with these phone Lightning wallets is good enough now that. If you are talking to a beginner and you want to try to get them onboarded, right? Of, of course, we're not expecting them to be on Zeus with their own lightning node if they're a beginner. For them, I think Phoenix and Breeze are great choices and you can start getting them on that idea of being lightning native if they can, right? Where they can earn on lightning and spend on lightning. And I think that's really cool because once you start achieving that, it just feels really cool, right? Like you just, yeah. you can see it, right? Like I was in El Salvador recently for adopting Bitcoin and a lot of the cafes, the restaurant, the hotel, like, and the stalls and Bitcoin beach, they, you know, and you could, I basically was walking around that whole week, not even having to do an on-chain transaction. I was just like spending and receiving just like this easily. And I was playing around with like, obviously my own Zeus wallet set up, but also with Breeze and with, you know, Moon Wallet and mm -hmm. some of these other ones. But with Moon Wallet, it's every time, it's almost every time it's an on-chain transaction. So in that sense, you're putting a lot of volume onto the chain when the whole idea with Lightning is that we're taking volume off the chain <laughs> for the efficiency, right? So yeah, but we'll see um, where where that evolves. And I, I know the Moon guys are you know trying to evolve their model as well. So we'll see what happens there. But I think yeah, the takeaways though are basically if you want someone to be Lightning native, put them on Breeze or Phoenix to start, 
And then later, of course, if they want to run their own Lightning node, you know, go for it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're talking here about how do we grow and build and get more people as part of the Bitcoin economy. And so anything we can do to help grow that is a good thing. Um, so, yeah, do you want to, I guess, give us any um, other thoughts around running a Bitcoin business or Bitcoin organization? You know, are there any other tips or tricks that you can uh, share for people out there who might be thinking about doing something similar? So if you're really running it uh, in, uh, uh, on Bitcoin, that means uh, that you actually keep the Bitcoin. Then, of course, uh, the keyword that everyone uh, will say is, no, it's too volatile. You cannot do this. You will go bust. <laughs> and uh, we did not get bust in nine years, so we had to figure out <laughs> how to do it. And we experienced like real bear, bear markets. So, for example, uh, I started fundraising for uh, Paralnapolis in Bratislava, uh, which is the capital of Slovakia, in 2017. We raised all the money and when we were ready, like, okay, let's build this thing now, it crashed from 20,000 uh, over a few months down to 3,000, you know, per, per one Bitcoin. So you actually need to deal with this problem. You cannot hand wave it away, okay? Uh, volatile, but, you know, one, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. But if you are actually running a business and you need to, you know, pay a construction company to actually build something, then, then you have this problem. So um, the idea is uh, uh, that uh, you can actually, without hedging, uh, you can actually run a, a business in some cases on Bitcoin right now. And um, the the idea how to do it or, or, the, or the, the main thing is to do a mindset switch and ask yourself, okay, it is volatile. I accept it. I'm not hand-waving it away. And uh, if it is volatile, can we make an advantage of it? Uh, and can we can we actually run a business in this way? So I will give you two strategies. I've write about this quite extensively um, in in in, a, in my book as well, which kind of condenses uh, all the experience of uh, running businesses uh, and lives <laughs> on Bitcoin. And you can also do it in personal life. Uh, so there are two strategies. So first strategy, you have operational expenses. You have to uh, pay for coffee. Uh, if you if you run a cafeteria, you need to pay for the beans. You need to pay the employees. You need to pay rent and so on. Most people, uh, especially in Eastern Europe, when they get an invoice uh, that is due in 30 days, they pay it uh, at day 30. That's quite common. Uh, uh, if you are running on volatile currency, uh, uh, you do it the first uh, second that you receive the invoice. So if you are buying coffee beans and people are paying you in Bitcoin, uh, it is better to uh, cover the operational expenses as soon as you can. So in Bratislava, for example, the employees were getting their salary every day. So it's up to them. If they want to hodl, they can they can uh, keep the Bitcoin. If they want to, if they need to pay rent, they can exchange it, and it's quite easy in a uh, in a cafeteria where everyone is uh, Bitcoin positive. You can you can usually just 
yell in the cafeteria and so someone will uh, change it. But basically, you are shortening your accounting intervals. So if you are paying everything that you have to pay as soon as possible, then the volatility is gone because in one hour, the volatility is not so high, but in one month, it can uh, really kill you. So, okay, so that's dealing with the volatility, but how do you make advantage of it? So uh, for capital expenses, uh, what you can do is with all of the strategies uh, uh, that we were using, uh, we are not predicting future price. I think it's impossible. So it has to work in a situation when the only thing you know is how much Bitcoin you uh, you have, uh, how much, uh, what was the value when you got it? You know that uh, each day has an exchange rate and you can assign the price and you know what's, what's the price today. So, uh, uh, so uh, a strategy for, uh, for these uh, long-term capital investments is, let's say, uh, you want to buy a, a, new, uh, a new coffee machine. You are giving away predictability in time because you don't know what the future price will be. But you can say, I want to make this capital investment uh, at, at the time when the uh, when the bitcoins I have in this capital fund are worth, let's say, 30% more than my acquiring price. So uh, to uh, maybe explain it better. So every day someone pays you for coffee. Uh, some of that is used uh, to pay operational expenses. Some of them you save in a fund for future capital investments. That's how any business works. You remember that how much in fiat terms uh, you put into the capital fund. So you just add it up. Let's say it's $1,000 uh, for the past few months. You said, okay, this Bitcoin cost me $1,000. And then you look at today's price. And if the, uh, if the Bitcoin that I have in the capital fund are worth 1300 that's the time when I make the capital investment because I'm getting a discount on capital. So, so basically, uh, all my capital investments are cheaper. I did not predict when this will happen, but when it happens, you make the, uh, you make the investment. I will uh, maybe, because maybe it is, uh, I'm, I'm saying it's uh, too complicated. So yeah, l let, me, let me take a shot at this. So basically, uh, we can think of it like if you understand what your cost base is for those coins that you acquired and you know that the current value of those Bitcoins is $1,300, as you said, then that's basically the point, right? What we're trying to get at is this idea of what was your cost base for those coins versus what is the present value of those coins. And if in this example, 30% higher, you're making that decision now. Um, and you're kind of in a way, because Bitcoin is so volatile, you're sort of making sure that you only spend it when you're above your cost basis yes. rather than below the cost basis for those same coins. Yes. So uh, I will give a, a, another example. Many people do dollar cost averaging. So uh, so let's uh, let's combine these two So because it is in a way a dollar cost averaging. So basically you want to go to a vacation in Thailand. It doesn't matter to you when you go. You just ask for vacation days. So you don't know when you're going, uh, but you want uh, to get it 30% cheaper. So you create a new, uh, new account in your hardware wallet. Uh, it's called uh, vacation saving and you put $100 every month. If after uh, 12 months uh, you have uh, 
30% more than you put in, uh, or 40, I don't know what's your goal. It can be double, doesn't matter. Uh, but if you said, okay, I want the 30% discount on this vacation. So when the value uh, is 30% more than you put in, then you book the tickets and uh, and the hotels and uh, and you go for a vacation. So basically what, it do- what this does is making use of the volatility in order to acquire capital goods or whatever consumption uh, cheaper you say uh, the discount but the discount that determines so so what you give away is predictability on when it happens you don't know where where you go to when you go to a vacation you don't know when you are buying the coffee machine new car but you know it will be cheaper so the only only environment uh, when this doesn't work is if bitcoin steadily goes down right for a long period of time yeah for a, for a long period of time if it is volatile yeah. uh, uh, as it is right now it will always hit uh, uh, hit this uh, uh, hit this threshold so again when people complain about volatility uh, my answer is what are you talking about volatility is good it allows you to go on cheap vacations and <laughs> uh, and uh, buy buy cheap um, cheap capital goods so so yeah uh, i think it is like i prefer maybe that's uh, that's the uh, austrian economist thinking and praxeology i prefer to look at, at what people are actually doing uh, than uh, to endlessly discuss about dreams and uh, if people talk about bitcoin uh, when when volatility comes up many people will say oh no when when it will be used more then it will be less volatile and so on and my my approach is okay Let's turn it this around. Forget maybe it will be less volatile, maybe not. The, let's I, we don't know what will happen in the future. But today, look at what people are doing and how they, they are actually using the, the Bitcoin. And actually, you can make use of the volatility. So if you include it in the strategy, if you accept it, if you're not in denial, then you say, okay, uh, I can I can actually make use of uh, of uh, this uh, in my life, and it will it will make my life better. Maybe. Gotcha. Yeah. So I've got two comments. So we went through a lot there. Let me just summarize and just make sure everyone's following along. So strategy number one is this idea of shortening the time between when you get paid in and when you pay out, right? So obviously that's kind of the easy aspect of it to help you sort of minimize some of the volatility because you're getting paid in and you're paying it out. It kind of minimizes things. Now, the only downside there is if you have the kind of business or job where your income is lumpy, let's say you you know, let's say you only get paid once every six months, but you have to pay out every day. Well, then, okay, that's kind of, you know, but in the cafe example, I think you're right. Like, is yeah. hedging, uh, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. you can hedge in this case. Right, gotcha. Yeah, and you can hedge, of course. Now, that so basically, that was strategy one is to kind of minimize the time between receiving and paying out. Mm-hmm. So that's first strategy. The second strategy, as you were saying, is think about your cost basis. And so basically, you have to try to spend when your actual value is higher than what your cost basis is, right? Maybe the high level way to think about it even is, you know, maybe this is not the best example, but as an example, spend during a bull cycle and not in a bear cycle sort of thing, right? Like it's kind of like as long as you're regularly accumulating, but you'll spend any big expenses you do in a bull cycle, then it kind of it kind of minimizes the amount you're spending in a way, right? It works also on shorter terms because you can have a super short spike during one. It doesn't have to be like a macro cycle. Yeah. Uh, it will it will usually work like even within a year. You know, you can be in a super bear market. That means you acquired a lot of cheap coins and then 
it spikes one day and and you can use it when it doesn't have to continue so yeah i've got you i'm with you yeah i was just making it i was trying to make it in a simple way but yeah you're right like it can be done in like a within a year um but then i guess the only challenge then is more maybe it's it's a it's an accounting one do you have any tools that you use to track the cost basis there or how do you try to how do you achieve that yes i was not doing that personally but uh, there are people who are doing basically the crypto financial management and uh, it's uh, uh, you can you can actually calculate it but they were doing the the accounting daily so you sa- they know okay we put uh, this uh, fiat amount uh, into the capital fund uh, every day because they were doing the salaries and everything else so so yeah, you you need to do some kind of financial management. If you are doing the vacation example, then it's easy because if you're a dollar cost averaging, then basically it's just uh, the uh, monthly amount multiplied by number of months. And then you just look at the current price. So that's, you can open the wallet and see you don't, that the, the accounting is basically done for you uh, by the wallet. So Gotcha. So let's think of it like this then. So if you are an individual, or let's say a very small business, you can sort of manually do some of this as an example in the coffee, a cafe example. Let's say you there's some coffee machine that you want to buy and you know it costs $2,000 or something like this. And you can just kind of budget out that way and say, okay, I'm going to save $200 a month or something like this. And after 10 months or whatever, then you know, okay, my cost base is now, or I've put in $2,000 worth of fiat that I put into Bitcoin, but now is has Bitcoin price risen such that that $2,000 I put in is actually now worth $2,600. And now I've got that 30% magical number. Now is the time to pull the trigger and buy that ca- that new coffee machine for my cafe. Yes. Uh, that's an example, right? But I hope yeah. people are following the basic idea. So yeah, I think that's some interesting stuff and actually some practical tips on how people can build the Bitcoin parallel economy and also live the Bitcoin lifestyle. So yeah. Yeah, before we close up, any final thoughts and where can people find you online? Well, uh, I think that uh, people should uh, consider this fun. Don't be very stiff and uh, kind of enjoy it. <laughs> it's uh, I, I don't think you need to be too serious about it. Uh, you can find me at hackyourself.io. Uh, I have just published a book where I write about these strategies. So it's called uh, cryptocurrencies hack your way to a better life so if you want you can buy it for lightning uh, on my website or even on amazon i'm also on uh, twitter uh, j-u-r-b-e-d so first three letters of my first name and surname and uh, you can find my uh, my blogs on yurai.bednar.io uh, uh, so first name dot uh, last name dot io I'm kind of an IO person. <laughs> so great. Well, yeah, look, I'll put all the links in the show notes and you're right. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I hope you found that one informative. And I certainly thought the peer-to-peer groups idea is really an interesting one, as well as this idea of being a Vexlack. Uh, and perhaps there's some parallels there of what's coming in the future with the central bank digital currencies and all of this. So certainly get out there and try to build out the peer-to-peer and the parallel economy. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 436. And you can find the show notes at the description there, as well as transcripts, which I'm looking to get done on the website. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.